Welcome back to Speak, Listen, Heal. I'm your host, Madison, and this is episode three. In this episode, we will be hearing from Teresa. So when I first started looking for participants for this project, I reached out to some of the other departments at 180 to help me find people, and it was actually the housekeeping staff who suggested I get in touch with Teresa. Um, I am really thankful for that suggestion because she did such a great job sharing her story and I hope you all find it as inspiring as I did. Teresa has since left 180 to head back out west and Teresa, if you're listening to this, I hope you're doing great out there and I hope you made it safely. To everyone else, thank you for being here and thanks for listening. Enjoy. My name is Teresa. I'm a 68-year-old white female. I was born and raised in the Detroit area in Michigan. I was born in 1953, graduated high school in 1971. I come from a family of 12, same parents, eight boys, four girls. Um, We were each other's best friends because we moved every year of our lives. We lived in people's basements, we lived in cars, we lived in trucks. We even lived in campgrounds a couple summers um, because my father isn't, wasn't a uh, motivated man to work and take care of his children. They had kids, but they didn't take care of them financially. Um, We were raised on welfare. Um, Catholic Church is how we got most of our clothes and our um, Christmas gifts and things like that. Uh, To get a pair of shoes, my mother would put our foot on a piece of paper and trace it cut it out and put your name on it and she'd take it in and they'd come home with a pair of shoes. So you got shoes for school and a pair of tennis shoes. That was it. So um, I graduated high school in 1971. In 1969 I got pregnant for the first time and in 1970 I got pregnant the second time. Both of the pregnancies I aborted. I had to go to New York City to have the abortion. Um, They were totally illegal. I went the first time and I was too far along. I had to go back home and go back again and had a very invasive procedure. The second one was the same thing. I was not raised with any knowledge of birth control. I didn't realize anything about it. It's not an excuse. It's just what happened to me. And I was very devastated by it. I went for a very long time being mad at myself and mad at the world for going through that. 
but I did it because I was afraid to have children. I was afraid I didn't want to marry someone like my father, even though I ended up marrying several of my husbands who were just like my father. I um, decided that I didn't want to work in a restaurant all my life. I didn't go to college. I didn't think I had the smarts to go to college, so I went into the Army. Um, I went in as a eye, ear, nose, and throat tech. I loved it. It was great. Um, I did end up in the eye clinic, which was a great success for me because I ended up doing that for over 40 years when I got out of the service. I got my certification and went from being a technician all the way up to being a um, supervisor, running a, um, became a refractive surgery coordinator for a very prestigious clinic in Austin, Texas. Um, I did, was sexually assaulted in the military when I was at uh, Fort Sam Houston where I did my medical training. Of course, it was not reported. That's not what was done in the 70s. We just kind of went through and went out and went through it and it was all put in the back burner and left there. So I got out of the Army, got my certification, and I went about my business. I lived in about 11 states. I've moved a lot. I think that just comes from my childhood of having gypsy blood. Um, I've had a lot of luck with some really lucky enough to have some very good friends. Um, I've been married seven, six times. Um, I had, since I had the abortions, I went through a really difficult time in my 20s about worrying about getting pregnant and whatnot because birth control was not as easily accessible, of course, as it is now. So um, I went in and had my tubes tied, cut, soldered, whatever. I told them I don't care what they do, just make sure I never have children. So I did that in my early 30s and felt much more relieved that I didn't have to worry about children. I've been very fortunate to have had some extremely very good friends in my life and have become a bonus aunt to several nieces and nephews that are friends of mine's children plus my own nieces and nephews and now great nieces and nephews and my older brother Jimmy married a Navajo Indian and their children they had two children and their children's children through the Navajo um, family I am their grandmother to their children so I am now a grandma even though I had no kids of my own I was very, I'm very fortunate to have that. My kids call me, they call grandma, they talk to me, they call me once, twice a month. There's uh, 15 of them. And then plus my other ones that have all grown up and gone on to do successful lives. And um, I'm known as the birthday auntie. I send birthday cards and little gifts to them up until they're 18 years old. And then I just kind of go from there and I tell them on their 18th birthday, it's been fun being your auntie, but now you're a grown up. You want to be a grown-up, so now you are, so go out and do something good in the world. Um, I was came to 180 Place. I married um, my last husband um, in Feb on February 29th, 2016, because we were trying to buy a house, and with the VA loan, you have to be married in order to have both incomes. So we got married, bought a home in Temple, Texas, and it was a very volatile relationship, good and bad, mostly bad. And I did leave him once after he threw a punch at me 
and said if he really wanted to hit me, he would. Well, I went into a shelter and I, at the VA and stayed there for 90 days and went back and tried to stay in the relationship. Um, the last three years of our relationship, we were in separate rooms on either side of the house. He had one side of the house, I had the other. We lived separately. Um, had dinners together sometimes, went out occasionally, but there was no intimacy, no relationship. They talk about how um, do men ever have, have, have men or women ever tried to make you do or have sex when you didn't want to or something like that. And I feel like having ta sex taken away from you is just as hard for you as it is doing things you don't want to do. Because when you're a very sexually active person and, and that person doesn't see you, in that way anymore and doesn't want to be with you, it's very hard. Well, it was very hard for me, for my emotions and for my self-worth. I put a lot of stack in that, which may or may not be the thing to have done, but it is what I did, so it must have been right for me. So him taking that away from me was very difficult for me. I felt very unworthy and unloved and uncared about. And um, then recently, um, he decided to take a life insurance policy out on me to pay for the house if I died, which makes sense. He's about 12 years younger than I am. And that made sense to me, $175,000 life insurance policy if I died. Okay, I get that. Went through all this stuff to get the policy. Then I come to find out in December that um, he had a double indemnity. I know that's not said right. Where if I died by accident, he would get $350,000. and. I thought that was awfully odd that why he would do that at my age. I mean, I plan on living a little bit longer. I didn't think I would die from an accident and <laughs> made it this long without that happening. So um, I thought about it. We had a, um, my bro one of my brothers lives in Switzerland, came over across the pond to a party we had in Texas over last couple uh, days of the new year into New Year's Eve. And family came from all over the country um, the four bro my four surviving brothers were there, and two of my sisters were there. So there were seven of us there. My one sister didn't come down from Michigan. Um, and while they were at my house, my um, husband had shown my brother, who um, has a second business at his home, and he um, teaches gun safety, um, concealed weapons, and People go through his courses and then they get their classes and then they get their certification. So he's all about gun safety. Well, he got back home about a week, probably about the second week of January, called me to ask me if um, my husband had told me about the gun. And I said, what gun? And he said, well, he showed me the gun that he bought. And I said, no, there's no gun in my house. And he sent me a picture of him with his hand laying flat and the gun sitting on his hand. And I knew it was my husband's hand because I know the tattoo that he has on his wrist. So of course I panicked. And the next day he left the house for the day. So I locked up the house and I searched the house and I couldn't find it. And about three or four hours later, I just took a break and went searching it again and went through his closet and I found it. Two boxes, they were mailed to a friend of his house where he used to live. One was a gun and one was bullets. And so I called my brother, I was in panic mode, and said, you know, this is freaking me out. I don't know anything about this. Why is this here? It's not registered, it was bought through the mail. It scared me half to death. And my brother, who, as I said, is into gun safety and very, very much into this, 
told my husband that he needed to tell me about it and was very upset that he hadn't told me. So he said, is there any reason that you can think of that, you know, he would want you dead? And I said, well, I just found out that as of January 1st, the insurance policy went into effect and I'm worth $350,000 if I die. So my brother um, talked to a friend of his and decided that that was not the place for me to be and I need to get out of the house. I had already had planned on going to, on a trip the following Tuesday. This happened on a Wednesday. Um, so I changed my flight reservations from Tuesday to Saturday and told him that I'd be leaving on Saturday. Um, and I was supposed to be gone for 10 days. And so I talked to my brother, got him to be on the phone with him on Friday and told him I was going out to gas up the car. I went out and got in my car that had not been driven in over a year, so it probably wasn't the newer of our two cars, but it was the one that I owned. So I put my stuff in the car and opened the garage door and left, told him I was going to get gas in the car and never looked back. And uh, drove down to Austin in the nighttime, which I don't drive at night because it's very scary for me. My vision's extremely bad at night. Stayed at a hotel with still thoughts of going ahead and going um, to the airport and going on my trip and then think about it things and my brother was very adamant talking with my sister that they didn't want me going there because he knew where I was going he could find me and they were giving him much more credit than I would have given him but I listened to them because I was scared for my life and so I decided to go ahead and come out to um, South Carolina near my brother and didn't tell anybody else in my family and I was out here for oh, a good week to 10 days before anybody knew what had been going on. Um, and I got into the shelter at 180 place. They welcomed me with opened arms. It was very scary for me. Um, I've never been in a shelter before. And um, they have beds set aside for the female veterans. So I was the only one here at the time as a veteran. And I got into the VA in Charleston Hospital and um, got my medical stuff started, got everything going, and got myself where at least I was trying to get some sleep and some rest and some, uh, some psychiatric counseling and some medication and trying to get myself, my feet planted back on the ground. Um, I reached out to an attorney, and he suggested that I do uh, let my husband know that I did leave, that I'm not abandoning him so that he couldn't sue me for divorce for abandonment. So um, I did that. I let him know by the 1st of February all the bills that had to be paid, what the account numbers were, what the phone numbers were, took him off my phone bill, off my electric bill, off my um, insurance and everything, got myself completely separated from everything from him. And of course he's contacted me a dozen or so times, but I've, I have not returned any of his calls. I only sent him the email or the text to let him know the information on where he um, could pay all the bills. Um, so going through all that, I've, I've made some nice, some really good contacts here at 180. People have been very um, accommodating. They have, I feel, out of, gone out of their way to help me feel safe and secure. Um, it's been a rough road. Um, it's been almost two months, and I'm getting ready to leave here and go off. I'm going back west. I have a couple of places that I'm trying to get into a VA PTSD slash domestic violence center um, for females because it's very hard to be around men 
um, at this point in my life, I just want to be left alone and I want to take care of myself and I want myself to feel better and and I want to still celebrate my nieces, my nephews, my bonus nieces and nephews. I want to celebrate my life. I'm not going to let some man, like my mother said, put me in a nut house. I'm not going to do that. I'm a survivor. I have survived so many things in the 68 years of my life and I'm going to survive this too. And I think women just have, are unfortunate that we are the ones that always seem to have to leave. We are the ones that walk out with nothing but the clothes on our back, sometimes a suitcase with your children. You leave with your children and a suitcase for them and we lose everything. And we have to start all over from the very bottom and scratch our way back to the top. And I think it's, we should have better, better help for women. You can say it's two-sided, but we all know that women end up leaving violence before the men do. And I think that we should, in our government, be able to do something to help us women that have lost everything that we've worked so hard for. And because we want to survive, we don't want to be beat up. We don't want to be put on the ground. We don't want our lives to have no meaning. We don't want our family to go on without us. We want to be as much love in our family as we can. And we think, I think that everyone has, everyone should have a chance to be happy. And even though you go through bad things, and this things people don't understand, you have to do what's best for yourself. And women are survivors. We have to. We're the backbone of the family group most of the time. And I would just like to see women have better shelters, better help, and be told that they're okay, it's not their fault that they were got into a bad relationship. That's it's no one's fault. It's it's not you're not bad and there's nothing wrong with you. You just fell in love with the wrong person. And I just think that I'd like to see some better things out there, better you know, it just seems they give all these men, they get all these shelters, they get all this stuff and, and they give this little tiny corner of a place for the women. And that's not fair. Yeah. So that's my story. That's all I have to say. I hope that my words will encourage women to stand up for themselves and get out and be safe at 68 years old. <laughs> it's hard to believe that I'm going through this again, but I am, and I'm going to survive it, and I'm going to be here for my seventh decade, and I'm going to do it upright, be happy. Thank you.